Welcome to the State of Business with the Ohio Society of CPAs. I'm Jessica Salerno, Senior Content Manager at LSCPA, and this is the show where we bring you the latest news impacting the business and accounting world from top experts. In this episode, I'm speaking with Edward Menlowitz, CPA in New Jersey and New York, and partner at Witham, an advisory and accounting firm. You might recognize Ed's name not just because he has decades of experience in the profession, but you've read his writing on Accounting Today, CPA Trendlines, or one of the many other publications where his byline regularly appears. He's also taught a variety of accounting courses at Fairleigh Dickinson University in New Jersey and presents frequently to professional and business groups. I spoke with Ed about the path his career has taken, including some of his favorite accomplishments, how he came to write regularly, unexpected opportunities he's taken, and how the profession has evolved. Here's what he had to say. I always wanted to be an accountant. My father was an accountant. I saw what he did, or at least I saw from, from my vantage point, I liked it. And I wanted to always, that that's what my dream was to be what I'm doing now. And what was it about what your father did that you liked? Well, basically, he, he worked during the day, went to clients. And at night, he would get phone calls from the clients. And from what I could make, make out from his side of the conversation, none of his clients would make a move without getting his opinion. And that, in my mind, was made him a powerful person and, and a sought-after person. And I liked that. So that's what I felt I wanted to do, be someone that clients would rely on, seek me out, and where I could help people. So that that's really where, where my passion started. And when did you first taking when did you first take accounting classes? Was that in high school or was that in college? No, I, I they didn't have accounting in high school, and actually they did have, but I I was really I took a lot of math in high school because I thought incorrectly <clears throat> that you had to be good at math to be an accountant. And I actually took five years of math in high school, but no accounting. My first accounting course was in college. And what was that like? You know, I think especially watching, you know, what your dad did growing up. And then finally, when you were able to take those accounting classes, did it kind of validate what you always thought you would be interested in? Well, actually, not really, because what I saw, what I heard my father doing was advice, and he used to, you know, discuss it with my mother. So I would hear my father talking to his clients, and then I would hear him discussing it with my mother. But he also did a lot of tax returns during tax season, and my mother typed them. So I always saw tax returns. I never really knew what else he did. And then when I go to college, and I'm taking a county course, it was nothing nothing to do with advisory work, which was he was doing, and nothing to do with taxes. And I, I'll be honest with you, I had a lot of trouble when I started with my first accounting course, understanding debits and credits, because I was trying to make logic out of the names. And you can't make logic out of the names. Does it? It's just a name. Like if I try to make logic out of your name, it, it wouldn't make any sense. Your parents liked, liked the name Jessica, and that's what they named you. So once I overcame that, I did well. <laughs> and what did your dad think about you, you know, being interested in the same profession as him? 
I think he was very proud. He was very proud of me. He was proud of whatever I did. And I think he was proud that I that I did it. And he encouraged me. But I, I did not work for him. I, I went, got jobs, and I had no intention of becoming a partner with him, even though he had his own practice. So that was going to be my next question. What was um, your career path like after you graduated from college? Well, I graduated from college. I wa always wanted to have my own accounting practice. So I worked for small accounting firms where I felt I, I could learn what accountants do. And I, I actually had a bit experience uh, my first job. Uh, I got fired after seven weeks because I was terrible. Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> I was really bad. And I figured out what I, what I did bad. And, uh, because, and what I did bad has, in effect, made me very good now as, as a leader and as a teacher uh, of young accountants. I, didn't, I did not listen to the instructions. I was just anxious to get to work. I wanted to impress my boss how fast I could work. So I, I didn't spend any time listening to him. Plus, my attention span, when I started, is no different than the attention span of the people that start today. The, the attention span does not last more than three minutes. I don't care if you're a millennial, Gen, Gen Z, or an old fart like me. Young kids don't have large attention span. And I did not listen. I did not get the instructions right. And I did the work wrong. And I developed techniques through my practice to um, eliminate all the instruction other than to get it down into two or three minutes. So I, I get their full attention and I make them work slow. And uh, I get people working for me to do very good work. But I work for small firms, and then I work for a little larger firm, a little larger firm, a little larger firm. So I had uh, four jobs my first seven years, and then I decided I was a hot shot. I was going to start my own practice, which I did. And what was it like starting your own practice? Well, actually, it was pretty good because I had moonlighted all the time, and, and by moonlighting, I picked up clients on my own and, and I knew how to deal with clients so um, and at, at the point that I left my job I actually had a, a nice size practice to start with also I was single I was living at home so it wasn't like uh, I needed to make a living or I had to support uh, people so I was able to take the risk so so it worked out good it, it was great uh, from day one, I never looked back. Uh, it's a very good move. Also, I was probably on a little faster track than most people I know because I started my own practice after seven years. I think that people that start practices do it more than seven years. So, um, but it worked out. And uh, I also tell people that call me young people that call me that tell me they want to start their own practice, how could they get started? I ask them if they have any clients from moonlighting. And the ones that do, I encourage. And the ones that do not, I discourage them. I say, look, if you haven't been able to build up any kind of clients on your own while you were working, what makes you think you're going to get business when you start your own practice? You have to have be an entrepreneur and have an entrepreneurial attitude and a disposition. 
So my tests for young people want to start their own practices if, if they what if they have clients that they moonlighted with. And when did writing come into play? I'm sure that a lot of our listeners are familiar with um, your byline in a lot of different places that they read and, and that I've read before. When did you decide that you kind of wanted to write and share your perspective and, and give advice? Well, first of all, I, I never thought of myself as a writer. I never liked to write. And I looked at writing as a chore. And I, 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 when I told you, I started my own practice. And then after a year, I merged with some, with some friends. And then the practice grew. And we reached the point when we decided we were going to hire a tax person. And what I typically do when I do anything, I make up a list of things that I'm going to do and questions I'm going to ask. And in those days, accountants were not allowed to advertise, but the tax people wrote articles. And, and when the tax people wrote articles, it got published. And that's how to, what the firm used as, as a way of getting business. So my list of questions for the tax person that we were interviewing was, do you like to write and can you write articles uh, that could be published? It turns out that we were not able to hire a tax person. And through a whole series of events, I took over being the tax person rather than being the audit person. And as the tax person, I felt it was my job to write. And I wrote quite a few articles, nothing got published, couldn't get anything published. I don't know if they didn't get them published because they weren't good or I didn't know how to get it published, or I didn't know the publications or whatever. And so I started writing an internal newsletter, which we did internally and which we would mail out to clients. So I started writing for that, and that became my writing, which I used for promotion. And then that led to me meeting someone who asked me to write an article. And then once you write one article somewhere, you have a credential. And, and now I love writing. I enjoy it immensely. And I do a lot of writing. I do probably I, more writing than almost anybody I know, maybe than anybody I know. I do a lot of writing. But uh, I've always, once I started with that as my job, I, I, I did it. It was my job. I did it. And I, I did it uh, pretty good because I got published. And did you ever think, especially when you were first starting out, that later in your career, writing would become such a big part of what you did every day? Not, not, not at all. Um, it, it was the first thing. It was, I was looking at it as part of my job, just as whatever, doing a tax return, meeting with a client, researching some issue, uh, trying to get a client a bank loan, writing articles what was my job and I was doing it. I I was fortunate to meet Marty Edelston, Edelston, who published at the time Boardroom Reports. It became bottom line personal. And uh, he he had me write a lot for him. And then he had me write a book for him. So you got to do the work. You can't you can't fluff it off and you got to be prepared. And by doing that I wrote my first book and then I wrote three three more books for him. And then the editor left and went somewhere else. And she asked me to write a book for that place. And then, then somebody saw that book and 
asked me to write another book. And, and it, I never said no, and I did it. <laughs> and I love that perspective that you just mentioned, kind of always taking the opportunities um, that are, you know, that are sometimes presented to you, even ones that you weren't expecting. Well, most, most of what we get, we don't expect. And what I've seen, you know, I, I've had very active practice. I'm now part of a big firm. You know, you get old and, and uh, it's time to sell your practice. So I got I, I merged in with Wiffen and Smith and Brown, which is a great firm. And I, I now have about 30 to 40 accountants a month call me with, with their practice management questions. So, so I get a lot of perspective. And what I could say to people that are successful are not, not the aggress super aggressive people. They're the people who, who took the opportunities when it came to them. Of course, there are super aggressive people and they, they, they do very well, but most people are not super aggressive. Most people are average people. And, and when an opportunity comes, the successful people take the opportunity and the non-successful people do well, but they don't take the extra opportunity. And, and I think the, so, so I have been the person who, who never really went out of his way too much to create opportunities for myself, but I never said no to an opportunity. And I worked hard and I did very well. I, I am very pleased with uh, my career and, and what I do and what I learned. And, uh, it bothers me when I see young people where I give them opportunities. I offer to help people write, get their first article published. I probably helped 150 people, but I could have helped 1,000 people. Uh, so in, in that number, 15% of the people took me up on it. Uh, people don't take up the opportunity. I know people that have asked me five years ago if I could, if I could help them with an article. I said, sure, this is what you got to do. And they haven't gotten back to me in five years. So they, they've lost opportunities. Now, it doesn't mean they're not going to do well. They'll probably have a nice career, but maybe it could have been a little better. So so never, never turn down opportunities to learn, to try something new. By the way, you're in Ohio, and I just posted a, a blog a few weeks ago, an anatomy of how I saved the business. And it was in Columbus, Ohio. That business Columbus, Ohio, and I was commuting almost every week, sometimes twice a week from Newark Airport, from, from, from New Jersey to, to Columbus. And I tell the whole story of how I saved this company in Columbus. Uh, when, when I wasn't hired to save the company, I was hired to put them out of business where the owner could walk away bankrupt, without the business, without a house, without any money, but that she would not be in debt to the IRS for unpaid payroll taxes. And I ended up saving the company because I saw an opportunity and I also had willing people who were willing to listen to me and to trust me. And I ended up saving the company, but it was in Columbus, Ohio. So I have a, a warm part of my heart for Columbus, for Ohio. So Ed, you mentioned there's been a lot of experiences and opportunities that you've had um, throughout your career. And I'm curious, uh, over the, the past few decades, what are some of the more notable changes you've seen in the profession? Well, there, there are am amazing 
changes in the profession. But when, when you, you got to look at the profession, what our role is in the profession, what, what is the accountant's role? And when you look at the accountant's role, I don't think there's been too many changes, to be honest with you. We, we have, the constant is that we have been advisors to business people, advisors to our clients. My father was, was an advisor to clients before I was born, and I'm an advisor to clients. What has changed is the physical work we do. We, we don't push pencils as much. We use technology tremendously. Uh, but also, what what did I do when I started? When my father was working, he did bookkeep. He did write up work, bookkeeping work for his clients. When I started, twenty five years after um, he started, uh, I was doing write up work. I was embarrassed to tell people I was doing write ups. Write ups was writing up their books. Today, all the large firms have write up departments doing outsourced bookkeeping for their clients. So, so the bookkeeping that we do and the work that we do for clients really hasn't changed, but the advice that we give has changed. Uh, we, the, the advice has, has expanded tremendously into many more things than just the, the, maybe what the business is. What are, what are you going to do tomorrow? Where are you going to be in five years? Where are you going to be in 10 years? How, how are you managing your wealth? Um, are, you, are you secure from uh, cyber theft? Are you hiring the right kind of people to work for your company? Uh, that that part of it has changed. The advisory work has changed, but but we've always been advisors. By the way, we also are involved with sustainability, where we audit the sustainability claims of large companies. Seven eight years ago, when I personally first got involved with sustainability accounting, uh, twenty companies. 20 of the Fortune 500 would issue sustainability reports. Today, almost every one of them. This has happened in the last seven or eight years. So, so there's a lot of things happening in the economy, in the country, in the world that accounts, we're involved in all of this. We, we, we are at the forefront of every one of these things. We may not be, get the credit, we may not be upfront, but we get the credit because the, the, the people that are doing this work don't do it without the CPA next to them telling them if they should do it, how to do it, how to reduce the risk, how to finance it, how to pay for it, and, and how to assemble the, the crew to get that work done. So, so there's tremendous changes, but it, it's not in the way that people think. We think, yeah, everything is computer. You know, when we had the, uh, the lockdown, a year over a little over a year ago, you know, when we had the the, the lockdown for the coronavirus, um, accountants didn't miss a beat with their work. Every every accountant was working remotely. Even the accountants that didn't think they were working remotely were working remotely. Every every CPA in the country that does a tax return was doing it remotely, probably for twenty years already. If you ask them, you'd work remotely. No, I don't work remotely. But we all did. We are at the forefront of, of all the technology that's happening. In fact, the accounting industry, accounting profession, made the, the PC business what it is. Because in 1979 and 1980, when VisiCalc was invented, was a spreadsheet. All the accountants found out about it and started buying these PCs 
to use the, to use the spreadsheet, and that created the market and and the demand for for PCs, and that led to uh, to the I, IBM getting into it and uh, uh, the, the 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 accounts and the, the personal computer, the portableness of the computer, and for the changes in the software. So we've been at the forefront of all this from the beginning. Also, the accounting firms, particularly the larger accounting firms, have become the primary advisors to, to their clients on computers and technology and uses and applications of technology. In fact, a lot of them have spun off. Uh, you know, a lot, a lot of the, the technology or the consulting, they call consulting arms of the accounting firms the large firm have spun off into separate companies. Arthur Anderson, which went out of business, uh, had spun off before they went out of business, Accenture, which is a dominant public company in the field. IBM bought uh, the, the uh, uh, Cisco bought, I think Cisco bought the uh, technology business of, of KPMG. So we're, we're in the middle of all this that's happening. So that, those are the changes, but when you get down to it, our job is to advise clients and to tell them how to do things and how to get things done and to pay for it, how to finance it and how to pay back the money and calculate the return on investment. And we've always done that. And I'm curious, along those same lines, you mentioned you have a lot of people writing into you asking for your advice um, and perspective on things. How have you seen the questions that accountants are asking you? How have those changed over the years or have they? Actually, they, they haven't changed much at all. They, they, it's the same issue with staffing, pricing, part, getting, getting along with partners. One of the questions that I got a lot of at one point was, was should they go paperless, which is a moot point now. It, it, it doesn't matter. Technology was never a major question, but I'll tell you one of the questions that I, I thought I would get a lot of that I never got a lot of, which was marketing. I always thought I would get a lot of questions about marketing, how to get more business, stuff like that. And I never got a lot of questions about marketing. I always get some, but never got a lot. And, and the reason for that is that every accountant is busy. It's a great profession. We're all making money. We all got quiet. We're all busy. And, and a lot of accountants don't go out and not going out of the way to get clients. They won't turn down a client that comes to them, but they're not trying to grow their practices by marketing. So I don't get that many questions about that. But the questions, you know, I, I was throwing away crap from, from that I've been saving for 50 years. And, and some of it was... Uh, it was in a warehouse that I was, I was storing this stuff and I decided to get rid of the warehouse last summer. And I found a lot of old accounting magazines and journals, things I saved. And the same problems we have today, we, we had 40, 50 years ago. How do you set fees? How do you get, get clients to, to pay them better? How do you, what kind of people do you hire? How do you train them? How do you move them up? Should you make investments in training people only to have them leave? Yeah, suppose you don't make the investment and they stay. So, so the problems are really the same. We're running a people, a business that's people oriented. Yeah, we have different issues now. We, we use an artificial intelligence 
to, to do audits when we use people. But somehow we, we're needing more people for that anyway. We're using artificial intelligence to do tax returns. We're using robots to do bookkeeping. But somehow there's a person involved in it. So maybe the, the, the kid at a school who, who instead, of, instead of him writing the tax return, we'll keep, now he's key punching the information into the uh, software. We have, we have software that scans the client's information and it populates the tax software. And, and her job now is, is to make sure that it, it's been scanned properly. So we took away the writing part, but we're still reviewing transactions. We're still making sure they're recorded properly. And we're still looking for the planning opportunities. So I don't see much differences in, in the way things have changed. People are going to tell you there's a lot of changes. And the reason, and the people that are going to tell you there's a lot of changes are, are the vendors of, of stuff and, and maybe the managing partners of firms that are not doing well. But, but the firms that are doing well, they, they, they have the same problem, the problems that I mentioned that existed 50 years ago. You think we would have gotten smarter as a profession and, and gotten better with staffing or gotten better with training. What I learned in college in accounting, didn't, there was no relevance to me until I was working four or five years when I was in a position to make decisions. And then my, my college background started making sense to me. I've, I'm involved in, I teach, I'm an adjunct at, uh, at, at college. So I've been teaching at one college for 15 years, separated by, uh, by, by, by 25 years. So I had two stints at, at a college, an MBA program, and I see the changes that I've made. And the, there's a change now to making the, the education more relevant to what people will be doing. And, and I've been personally doing CPE, trying to make it relevant to what staff are working on, not what they should know, but what, what they should know about what they're working on. So I think you, you think that these changes would have taken place 20, 30, 40 years ago, but they haven't. I read online about you was that you've tried cases before the United States tax court before. Can you tell me more about that experience? Yes, and I want to tell you if I have to if I have to give you a, one of the disappointments that I have, it, it's you know I told you I've had a, I've helped 150 people write articles, I've helped other accountants doing doing everything you could imagine except one thing. I, I have never helped an accountant become admitted to practice before the United States Tax Court. Now, CPAs who are not lawyers can become admitted to tax court by taking a test that's given once every two years. And, and it is, it, I took the test too. You have to go to Washington and you take the test. It, it's a tremendous credential, number one. It's a tremendous tool. I have a case docketed right now in tax court. Uh, a tax, uh, I have a case right now. I, I have tried cases. Now, I'm not a lawyer. And, and i be honest with you, the cases I tried, well, most of the cases, I tried six cases. Five of the six cases were losers. The client was wrong, but he wanted a day in court. So I, I didn't charge him too much. The first case I tried, I didn't charge him anything. 
I wanted the experience of doing it. And um, I lost every case. <laughs> I lost one case where, where I lost it because the client didn't, didn't get relief, but the judge agreed with my, with my view and made that into new law. So I feel I won that, but he said my client didn't apply to my client. So, so I felt good with that. But I also, uh, it's a way, but I've also filed petitions in maybe 50 uh, tax, in 50 cases where I, I, the only purpose of filing it was to take the audit away from the IRS and bring it to an attorney at the IRS who had the ability to settle cases. So it's a great strategy. It's a great credential. If anybody listening to this wants to uh, become admitted to practice before the tax court, they're welcome to contact me and I'll be glad to help you. And I'll point you in the right direction or I'll even uh, mentor you a little and, and, and show you how you, what you got to do to pass the test. But it's a good experience. It's a great experience. Anything new is a great experience. And, and if you could do stuff out of your comfort zone, it's good. Now, now in my case, my first case was a loser. So I had nothing to lose. I, I, couldn't, I couldn't make it worse. So if you can't make it worse, so how bad could it be? And I also was very lucky because the, I told the attorney from the IRS, that's my first case. So we told the judge, he said, he told the judge it's my first case and, and he's not going to get crazy or nutsy if I don't follow the right procedures. And they were very nice to me. They were very helpful, very nice. Of course, we lost. <laughs> my client didn't care. He wanted his day in court. He, he knew he was going to lose, but he, he, some people just want that day in court. But uh, again, this is the only thing that I've ever offered that not one person has ever taken me up on it. I, I don't lose sleep over this. <laughs> <laughs> That's so interesting. And especially going back to what we were talking about with um, how much you write now, it made me wonder, how do you feel like your accounting background has, has prepared you to try these new things like writing and, and like trying a case before the United States tax court? Like, do you feel like your accounting um, background and knowledge has prepared you for those things? Immensely. One of the best backgrounds you could have is auditing. When you do auditing, you are learning how a company operates, how it functions, how the system works, and you're learning about all the transactions. So I don't think there's any better training than auditing. Also, when you're an accountant, you're dealing with the smartest people in this country, probably the smartest people in the world are entrepreneurs, people that start a business who, who can't afford to fail because they got to make a living. These are brilliant people. And for me to have a practice where every single day of my career, I'm with these kind of people is, is a thrill. These people are brilliant. Sometimes they really want my opinion. And sometimes they really don't want my opinion, but they use me as a sounding board because I know that if they, if they, because they know if they're way off base, I will tell them. And, and, you, you, you'll learn, you're the first, I'm the first person that learns about anything my clients want to do. Whatever they want to invest in, whatever they want to start, whatever they want, any new process, because everything involves money. 
So, so they want to know what it's going to cost, what the risks are. They want me to quantify it for them. And then they want to know if I think it's a good, good idea or a bad idea. I've traveled all over the world to meet with people. Uh, I, I, I met with Giorgio Armani in Italy when the first men's, when, when women's designers started going, making line, line of clothes for men. I, I, I was with Martha Stewart when I told her that she should stop doing catering uh, for her of clients and, and do something that can make her very famous, which is what she said she wanted to do. You, you are with dynamic people, brilliant people, and you're on the ground floor of this. I have, I have a client now that the mayor of New York City has to call to make an appointment. I could pick up the phone anytime I want and say, I want to see you tomorrow. Uh, what time's good for you? And they'll tell me what time to come. Uh, it, it's, it's tremendous access. It, it's an, a, a, listening to these people is an education. I had one client who uh, he, he, um, he, he, he borrowed money. He borrowed on his life insurance to start a business. He ended up having 450 people working for him. And when he finally paid off the insurance policy, he had a frame on his wall. He was so proud that, that he uh, was able, you know, that he built the business, able to repay the loan. He did not make a move without calling me uh, to, to ask me about it. And it's, it's, it's unbelievable what, what goes on. So I think that accounting is a tremendous background. It's dynamic. It's interesting. It puts you with brilliant people. And I, I cherish every, every minute that I spent working as, an, as a CPA. And talking about, you know, learning and education and, and just the people that you've been able to kind of work with throughout your career, has there been any mentors that you've had over the years who, who looking back now, you thought, wow, that person was, was a huge influence on me? Yeah, I did. Uh, actually, obviously, my father was, was a great mentor. And I had some bosses that were great mentors. I had some bosses that were not good mentors at all. But I, I was thinking about mentors. I, I've had accountants call me. You know, I had a small practice when, you know, for most of my career, my practice was small. And I've had People call me who were big shots in the profession who I did not know. I knew who they were. And they said, look, Ed, I, I saw you. I see you working on this case. You know, my firm's involved also. Let me give you a tip on how you have to do something or how you should act or how you should prepare your records or the time record. And I've gotten call, unsolicited calls from people that were really gentlemen. And, and women, it, it's amazing uh, what they did. And uh, I learned from that. And because of that, that's why I, I try to give back to repay them. And the way I repay them is, is by, by talking to other accounts and trying to help them and, and why I get so many calls. I, I, I solicit the calls because I want to pay these people back. So also clients are great, have been great mentors also. You know, some of the best things I learned, I screwed up with a client. I didn't lose the client. He might have been upset with it. But I, and he would tell me, hey, you should have done it this way. You should have done it that way. Why don't you do, look at it this way? Or, or it's the approach you're taking it is no good. Take this approach. 
so clients are great mentors also. My partners, I've, I've been fortunate. All of the people that have been my partners have been great mentors. Um, and, and also part of it, part of a lot of the mentoring has been unsolicited. Part of it's been solicited. If I, I saw one of my partners, when I merged in with the big firm, I, I, I heard one of the partners did something. I didn't understand why he did it. So a couple of days after that, I went into him. I said, look, I heard you did this. Could you explain why you did it? And then he, he took the time to explain it to me. So he was a mentor also, but, but he wanted to come to me. I had to go to him. So we can't be, be too proud. So, so we, all, we all could use help. We should seek it out. And when it comes, we should, we should cherish it. And we should be glad that people are willing to spend their time to help us. And speaking of help, another question I wanted to ask you was, what is some of the best advice you've ever been given in your career? Whether it was it was by one of those mentors that you just mentioned, or if it was someone else who, who you were interacting with, what stands out as some of the best advice? The best advice was from the guy that fired me. <laughs> he said, you don't listen to me. You're not listening and you're rushing. He says, you're a kid. You don't know anything. There's nothing you could do to impress me. Just, just do what I tell you. And if you do what I tell you, I'll get confidence in you. And then I'll give you something that, that maybe is more important to do. But to start, I'm giving you the lowest level work and I want to see how you do it. And that, that might have been the best advice that I got from anybody. From, from you might say, a very bad experience. But, but he was right to fire me. I was terrible. And that's, that's advice. I, I really probably think about him every day when he gave that to me. So I would say that's the best advice. Work, understand what your job is, what your role is. Uh, understand what you got to do. Make sure you know the, the, uh, the deadline, the, the constraints, the budget for it. And, and just do, uh, do it. And, but, but listen to what the instructions are. And I tell young people that are starting out, if you don't understand the instruction, ask for it to be repeated. And if you don't understand, ask again. If you ask five times, the person giving you the instruction, they're going to be very frustrated with you and very upset with you, but you're going to end up doing the work right. And after a period of time, they're going to get confidence in you. And if you don't ask five times, but just listen once and do it wrong, after some period, you're gonna have no confidence in you and you're not gonna make it with them. So, so understand what you gotta do. Ask the questions and listen. And I love that perspective too, that sometimes, you know, kind of in the most unlikely places, like you mentioned, is when you learn or pick up some of the best pieces of advice. That's right. It, it's, it's all there, you, you know, you gotta, you gotta also have an awareness. So you need an awareness of things that are happening or what's new and what's going on. And, and I think that's, that's a tremendous trait that, I ha that I've always had. And I think any young person that's in accounting that just, just is aware of what's around them. When the PC started, nobody knew what a PC was, except there were some, some geeks that, that, were, that were doing it as a hobby. Uh, I bought a uh, computer. I bought a, I, in 1982. I bought a, a whole computer uh, setup, uh, 
K, it was a K-Pro. I paid $2,500. I got a portable computer, a printer. It came with everything. The only thing that didn't come with was an instruction book. I didn't know that, that it was called documentation. <laughs> so it took me two weeks to figure out that I had the instruction book. It was the documentation. <laughs> but you, you, you see what's going on. You try things. If it's not right, if it's not good, you, see, you drop it. You try something else. But you got to have an awareness of, of things are changing. Things are changing right now. And what would you say for for future accountants? What do you think um, that are some other skills, along with awareness, that they'll need to to excel at their jobs? They they must be they must be be good at art and technology. Uh, they, they they must they must really be great at technology. Everybody knows is using technology, they, they got to be great at it. And I'm going to give the listeners of this a question. How many, ever, I'm sure that everybody listening to this program uses Excel. So my question to you is, have you ever taken a course on how to use Excel? And, and of course, we're not going to know the answers because people can't raise their hand on a podcast. But I'm willing to bet that that at least three quarters or more of the listeners have never taken a course on Excel, but they use it every day. So, so I'm saying if they never took a course on it, they can't be using it to the maximum. There's things that it could do that's unbelievable. Another thing is that drives me crazy is that we don't use, we, accounts don't do enough graphs. You could do a graph, you could do a graph on Excel in, in, in 42 seconds and you could, Cut a meeting, you can reduce 45, 42 minutes from a meeting with a client by showing them a graph. So I think we're, we're in an IT world, that, that's what we're doing. So, so you got to get involved in that. Anything that you think a client could need that they're getting as a service from somewhere else, you should figure out if, you, if it's a service you could do. Could you do the outsource bookkeeping? Could you do the outsource human resources? Could you do the outsource healthcare reporting? Uh, find out what clients are doing, what they're paying other people to do, and then see how you can get, how, what, what it takes to learn and how you can get involved in it. Uh, I think that that's, the, it, it, again, it has to do with awareness, has to do with learning new things, and then try to imagine where you will be in five years. Will you be doing exactly the same thing in five years that you're doing today? Are you doing the same exact thing today you were doing five years ago? Well, if you are, that's pretty sad. But if you're going to be doing it five years from now, you have a chance the next five years to change things. We're not accountants. We're advisors to clients. Our job is to provide advice and and secure and financial security to clients and to show them how to get things done. Our job is not to hand them a tax return or a financial statement. And, and every time we, we work on a client, we should ask ourselves, what value are we adding to the client from doing this? What When you do an audit, you do a management letter. What value do you add by giving the management letter and then not following it up? And you can follow it up with an added engagement to help them implement yeah, maybe not every client is going to take you up on it, but but one out of four clients are going to take you up on it, and that is revenue. But I mentioned before that a lot of accounts are overloaded with work, and they're not looking for additional business. If it comes their way, they'll take it. 
but this requires them to go after it. But if they don't go after it, and then another firm in their, in their area meets them, they're going to say, well, does your accountant do this for you? Well, we do that for all our clients. Every large client that um, everybody listening to this podcast has is, is, is on the top of the lead list for their competitors. Don't let that happen. So, so think, be aware, see how you can add value to a client and add the value at every, at every interaction with the client. Thank you to Ed for taking the time to speak with me about what he's learned throughout his career and where he thinks the profession is headed. So what do you think of the episode? You can always let me know at jsalerno, J-S-A-L-E-R-N-O at ohiocpa.com. And please rate and review us on whatever podcast app you're using. We'd love to hear your feedback. Thanks for listening.